Hey, Ryan, has anyone tweeted out that we're doing the show yet? Uh, I don't know. I don't even know how that you, gets tweeted go, out. Go if it's like automatic. People, go talk to the people who are playing Garbage Pail Kids and drawing pictures to see if they could like do some tweeting or something. All right. I'll make, I'll make the request, the formal request. Yeah. yeah so uh, just so you know, we, we're, we're making up an InfoSec version of Garbage Pail Kids called Dumpster Fire Friends or something like that. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so nice. Think about, think about all these all these personality traits that you see in computer security, like, you know, ostrich managers or a seagull manager or a stress puppy or, you know, think about, you know, these people that we see in IT security that we see these, you know, archetypes show up. But yeah, we're going to make dumpster fire. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be dumpster fire friends or dumpster fire people <laughs> or whatever it is, but it's all going to be about dumpster fire that is computer security. Dumpster fire like, friends. That has a good wild. ring to it. We're totally gonna have we're totally gonna have a card like ref, like Mister On Prem Exchange. <laughs> You've heard of DLLs now DFFs. Let's go. We, we we need to keep our own email servers because of compliance regulations. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> You're afraid of change in the cloud. Get on the bus. Oh, we got D for Jesse on. Awesome. Everyone, post in the chat if you're coming to uh, Deadwood. Anyone? Anyone? Because I'll be there. I am going to be there. I will. Wow, wait. Ninety forever. What? I, I won't. Garbage Pill Kids weren't wasn't nineteen ninety, was no, it? That was, was the eighties. Eighty-seven. Decade wrong. Nope. It was the eighties. That's when lunch boxes had the, the white plastic handle with the thermos yeah. inside of it. Those are good times. You know, you know, amazing is like. You always uh, like you got milk in your thermos for lunch, and that milk got that weird plasticky flavor. And then your thermos smelt like that, like rotting, fermenting milk till the end of oh, time. We got we got oh, a question. Goodness, from LinkedIn user. What is Deadwood? Wait, Deadwood, LinkedIn John? users in this chat? That guy's a yes. legend. That guy's oh, amazing. <laughs> no, it's uh, Deadwood is uh, what happens when a tree dies, and um, the wood just sits. <laughs> Sometimes it can be like standing up dead wood. It could be laying on the ground dead wood. It could be just chopped up and burned in your fireplace. But there's a noise. To standing a dead noise. Down. God, I'm jet lagged and that wasn't funny, Corey. What? <laughs> <laughs> so what is it then? I don't know. I, 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 actually, literally it was referred to as dead wood because when they came in here and they started gold mining, there, there was a bunch of dead wood, like dead trees laid around, probably from a tornado that went through. And that was it. They're like, Yes, there's a lot of deadwood around here. We shall call this place <laughs> Deadwood Francois. Good enough. Yes, <laughs> yes, we have many Armani, Francois. Yes. <laughs> Let that one go, Francois. Someday he'll be a CEO. So so Deadwood is a conference that we're we're putting on. In real life. A link on the screen that you can navigate to. You can actually come up to us and touch us, but that would be assault. I think touching is <laughs> off limits. I, I, I would just like to say publicly, please don't touch me. Uh, <laughs> that would. Wild West Hacking Fest, where assault is possible. There's training. There's all kinds of fun talks. There's John Strand. That's about it. It's supposed to be a phenomenal time. I, There's I really am afraid I'm going to piss people off with my talk. Ryan, let's start it. Yes. All right. Finger time. That sounded bad. I'm rolling the <laughs> intro. <laughs> <laughs>
Hello and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security talking about news. We're, we're one week away from Wild West Hackenfest where you can see me touch my belly, which just makes me a creepy middle-aged man. But if you touch my belly without permission, that's assault. Always remember that, folks. In this particular edition, we're going to be talking about a new zero day in exchange and how Microsoft is slow walking, it seems, trying to fix it. I love how the recommendation is don't run on-prem exchange, which I think is fantastic. There's also a couple of ransomware stories mixed in here. We've got a really cool story about some stealthy malware that's being used against defense contractors here in the United States. Apparently, other people want to hack the details for the F-35. And I just want to let the Chinese know there's easier ways to get updates to the software than doing that. All right, everybody. Um, I am joined today, as always. I've got an amazing cast of characters. We got BSD Bandit is on. Yip, yip. Awesome. Oh, and he just froze. (laughs) (laughs) He's actually in the office. He's just, he just went, BSD just went full mime. The best part is he's on corporate internet. Like his home internet's better than corporate internet, apparently. Apparently. Oh, there he is. And he's back. Yes. Ah, Look at that. He's standing very still. We're also joined by (laughs) Bronwyn. Um, Bronwyn. Are, are you gonna? Are you gonna? Are you gonna rock the karaoke mic next week? A matter of fact, I'm uh, putting out the request to see if there are particular tunes. I've already had a couple of Jefferson requests. Airplane. Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson Airplane. <laughs> Free bird. And I will come and I will sing with you. Uh, we'll do a duet of "Don't You Want Somebody to Love," and I'll do "Cable Guy." Uh, that we do nice. <laughs> if that's not a reason to go to Deadwood, like that should secure your. That, that, that may be considered secure, assault. That, that may should be secure your attendance. Oh no! I'm, I'm no. very surprised at how many people remember my debut for karaoke. That that was. It was awesome. It was awesome. Well, We're also joined by Corey, who is taking some time off from pen testing to take a breather and talk to us about ransomware. Mike, as always, appreciate you being here. So are you coming up next week? No, I'm actually not able to. I'm going to be out at that other conference going on at the same time. Gurkhan, yep. which is a great conference. Gurkhan, we love Gurkhan. By the way, next year, we're totally not going to be overlapping Gurkhan. We have Wade's and Wade's mustache is back on. By the way, Wade, I'm working on the next edition of Backdoors and Breaches. The dark expansion pack, and can I make your mustache an evil hacker card? I would, does I would love that. I, right. I'm down. Let me. Awesome. I'll have to go get uh, headshots for my mustache later. I have some people I can. Nice. Definitely. And then we, have, of course, have BSD. Didn't you present like last week? Oh, just like hack Redcon. Yeah, offensive. Yeah, yeah. I, by the way, I'm on the other side of the planet. And people were talking about how awesome your talk was, man. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Thank so you. So you need to come back and do it on a Tuesday or Wednesday for us. Ooh, so okay. if you'd be up for it, we'd love to have you. And that's- what was your talk on, by the way, for everybody? Offensive Rust. So the name of the talk was In Rust I Trust, Using the Rust Programmer Language as an Offensive Mindset. Ow! Ouch. <laughs> and Linus Tolvals is like, oh, Rust and Linux kernel. <laughs> Rust is already offensive. Let's jump right to the stories. The first one I want to get into is the Microsoft Exchange Zero Day. I, I just, I mean, at this point, is there anything other than we really just need to tell everyone to just stop running on-prem exchange? Um, there's actually two separate Zero Days, right? Um, and they're working on an accelerated patch. Are we going to take any like guesses on how long it's going to take Microsoft to get the patch out for this one? 
I thought I saw a tweet earlier today hmm. that the patches were out there. I know Kevin Beaumont uh, the other day was doing a patch on it. Oh, Gossy the Dog on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, he no, was doing I, it live on Twitter. <laughs> no, he did. So he did a patch of Microsoft Exchange live on Twitter, and he live tweeted it, and it took him two and a half hours, I think. And his whole point uh, in, in Twitter, he basically, you should follow him on Twitter, Gossy the Dog. And basically, it was like, for everyone that's just saying you should just patch your exchange servers, I want to share with you just how hard that actually is. And I thought it was fantastic. He got like 15 minutes into it, and then the patches, they would just pop up a box and then go away, and they weren't installing. Apparently, it was quite the nightmare to get it out there. But read Gossy the Dog's thread on this. But honestly, if you actually go to Microsoft's Bolton on this, Right at the top of it, or near the top of it, it says, if you're running Office 365, this does not impact you. Just kind of letting people know right off the bat. And I was kind of ripping on people running uh, on-prem exchange, but there's got to be some legitimate reasons, right? Like why people would run their own on-prem exchange server. So let's let's talk about why would somebody still be running their own exchange server at this point. There are companies that I know of that moved to 365, but they needed on-prem exchange for certain applications that they have, uh, Mm -hmm. some mainframe connectivity for automated emails or what have not. So all it's doing is sitting there doing these specialized things, which of course means that it's got to have some sort of admin access. Now, Mike, on that particular situation, most companies, just correct me if I'm wrong, that would not be an internet exposed on-prem exchange in that scenario that, would be that you're keeping on the inside of your firewall, correct? Absolutely correct. The problem is, is did people, when they switched over, cut everything off properly? And number two, the second somebody gets on to, say, through a phishing link, do they have access to that? Or is the segmentation done properly? Yeah. Yeah. So there are reasons that you do it, but I'm, I'm going to put forth, put forth a theory and I'd love the audience to kind of let me know what they think about it. I would say the vast majority, I'm willing to bet uh, probably 90% or more of the organizations that aren't moving to Office 365 are doing it, one, because of the cost, and two, because of the cost. Um, it's yeah. not so much an issue of one is better or one is worse. It's just they're a small to medium-sized business. Um, they work with their MSP to have them do it, but that's going to be a huge charge associated with it. And it's much easier to be like, if it quote unquote ain't broke, don't fix it type situation. Um, but no, I'd like to get people's opinion on that because I don't, I know that there are on-prem exchange instances for some companies because of integrations, but I'm going to say that yeah, it's got to be in the nineties. Most organizations out there, they're just not upgrading it because they just never ran it in office 365 yet. I'm looking at the pricings right now. I got to... It's not that expensive, but it's like anything else in the cloud where fifty or a hundred dollars a user adds up quickly. But well, but I'm, when I'm talking price, I don't think it's just the price of the cost of the software. I think you got to look at the price of the cost of working with a company to work with you to get the upgrade. Because I'm talking companies that don't have their own IT shops. Mm-hmm. So that's whenever I'm talking cost. That's my that's my interpretation of cost. Is it's like yeah. crap. I'm going to have to hire some like weird MSP locally to do it for me. And I don't trust those guys anyway. But I, you're I, also going to have to hire a forensic firm to take down your exchange server and figure out how it got hacked so hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and also hire a PR firm to tell everyone you got hacked and also hire a legal firm to defend you in court from all the people that got hacked. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those are what we think- call, those are what we call hidden costs. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, they're well, not hidden when the patch is posted publicly. <laughs> yeah, or when the right. exploit is. Management, what about um, management's mindset? You know, you have some managers that really just don't want to change and yeah. like the way things are. Like, hey, this is we've been running it like this for the longest time. Let's continue it. It's not broken. And I think that goes back to um, I think that goes back to McDouglas's Twitter thread that he had a couple of weeks ago, where he's like, "Oh my gosh, executives! The only thing that they worry about is the cost of things, and they don't care about computer security." And you know, my take on that is, yeah, that's the way they look at everything, right? Like it's mm-hmm. the way that they absolutely look at everything, and anything IT related, whether it's new desktops, whether it's new servers, new notebook computers, or even migrating to Office three sixty five, is just a cost center. There's no there's no like, oh, we're going to make more money doing this. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Well, there you could sell it as that. And I think that Microsoft has made a reasonable pitch. The main thing, I think, being that it's not managed. You don't have to spend, um, you know, hours patching it or upgrading it or that kind of thing. I mean, that's kind of one of the selling points of the cloud. And that can be a selling point. I think it just comes down to we have to point to these kinds of issues as reasons to mo- move forward to to push that. And it is ironic that Microsoft is doing that because they're also the co- company that's collecting money hand over fist for legacy support and tons of applications, tons of operating systems that they're just like, oh, you, you want Windows XP support? Sure, that'll be like five mil. Just ch- send me a check. And, and, I, and I've been wondering about that too. Like the whole thing... Because they've got to be making a calculation, right? So somebody at Microsoft has got to be saying, look, we're making money off of this, or we can make money off of this. But very clearly, Microsoft is pushing people to Office 365. They, they, that's got to be a much better like cash cow for them than on-prem exchange and all the legacy things, right? I mean, they've got to be doing those calculations. Well, it's easier to spin up. So your point about how business sees everything IT-related is so on point. I've worked for a variety of different companies in different development positions, and upgrading anything was always a battle. Every single time, it was a battle. And it didn't matter. I mean, if a company, their revenue stream is coming from online sales, and yet the the engineering department has to fight with management to get approval to be able to upload the patches that are going to make things safer. That's mm-hmm. the constant struggle. Well, and that's the spoons argument, right? Like Graham just basically put up a YouTube comment. The biggest victim of this is small IT teams who don't have the budget to hire or train people to understand the cloud. If you've only got so many spoons, right? You've only got so many fights that you can take to management. And I, I, I seriously think if you're an IT manager, you're fighting constantly. And I mean, upgrade your computer, something goes wrong, immediately you get beat up for it. In IT, we have a culture that is, you know, you only get judged on your failures again and again and again. So this is just like one of those opportunities. If you're in a small IT shop or you're an MSP, you're trying to convince your customers, you're trying to convince management to do a huge lift into the cloud, there are so many opportunities for failure and you're going to need training for it. So I really think it looks insurmountable. Whereas, you know, like Corey was talking about, if you get hacked, then you're going to have to pay for an IR firm. You're going to have to pay for all of these things. And I, and I seriously think humans and their lizard brain and IT departments are like, I would rather deal with that because that's an act of God. Then I can use it as leverage to get off of on- on-prem exchange then try to fight to get on to Office 365 to begin with. Does that make I, sense? It I makes sense. 
it, it makes sense, but it also shows part of the problem that we have with IT itself is being able to properly communicate that change of investment strategies from on-prem to cloud yep. and how to properly explain it to management in their terms so they can understand it. Because if you can get them to understand that, yeah, we might have an initial upfront surge in cost, but over the long run, we're going to be more secure and that's going to drop our costs down and show it to them in that sort of fashion, you can get them to buy in. And not only be more secure, but need less people to be secure. I don't have to manage that server anymore. I don't have to worry about the hardware. No downtime window, the, no patch uh, uh, window. No time, patch, anything. Like as someone yeah. who runs like a gnarly, like most of our team is SaaS, right? I don't have to worry about maintaining servers. And therefore I don't have to have someone who's hardware related. And that's, gonna, that's a huge hit on cost that gets pushed somewhere else. <laughs> think SaaS yeah. for a small team is even more important and you should yeah. try to invest mm -hmm. into that as much as you can. So you don't, so you can only manage the fine tuned things. You don't have to manage the big. So, so what I recommend is you use the uh, Sears catalog approach. Um, I'm getting <laughs> old where like before Christmas would come up, I would go through like the Sears catalog and I'd pull out the pages with the GI Joe things that I wanted and I would circle them and just like leave those pages out in the house, like on the living room. So, you know, and my mom or my dad would be like, oh, wow, here's a piece of paper. Oh, John seems to have circled this thing. Like, that's a hint. Do we just start leaving cloud flyers around? Like, business? Here's what you do. Here's what you do. You buy your, you buy your executive team really high-end like, service devices, but you tell them they only work with the cloud. They do not work with on-prem exchange. So if they want to use these service devices or whatever, whatever device they have their eye on, you're like, Oh, you want to use this really cool iPad or whatever? Sorry, yeah. it has to be cloud. It doesn't do on-prem exchange because our VPN, it doesn't, the client, the, the, you know, computers, it doesn't work. It's the RC-232 connectors going through the flux capacitors <laughs> and the Arduinos. They just don't match up. I they mean, don't. Sure, they just don't. go mail to mail, but no one wants to, like, do that with their connectors on Yeah, crossover thing. cables, you know. Yeah, crossover cables. Yeah, well, I think you could use rollover cables, but many people don't do that unless they're actually like Cisco shops. <laughs> we are going to talk about that. That is, yeah. Months. The other but thing that I, I do want to mention about the whole IT thing is that the whole part of the reason that the risk is not appropriately thought of at an executive level is because they aren't actually on the chopping block most of the time when this kind of stuff happens. If the exchange servers get compromised, unless there is a very clear chain of communication where like. The executive says, no, we are keeping exchange because I said so. The, a lot of the times that also the IT gets blamed for that. They're like, well, why do we have insecure servers? They're like, well, we told you, but the, you know, they're still going to get either paid or a leave package or whatever, severance package. Like, they're, they're not really the ones that bear the cost of the security incident so much. So th yeah. that's another problem we need to... It's like, if you're going to be the one making the calls, you have to take the blame. And if you're going to be the one you know, taking the blame, then you should be making the calls. But yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on with this one. I think we can boil it down to one simple thing. Just don't run on-prem exchange. The next story I want to talk about is from Bleeping Computer. And it's specifically, you know, I, I love whenever we get to talk about hot nation state on nation state action. Um, but stealthy hackers target military and weapons contractors in a recent attack. And I haven't gone through and memorized all the LOL pins. Um, that are out there. But this one was actually pretty cool because it uses four files.exe, which I thought was kind of cool. 
um, in and of itself. Because, you know, with, with like command line scripting from batch scripting or command line scripting on Windows, you can do 4LI in, you know, start at one, step one, end at like 32. And you can do all kinds of commands for each one of those different loop operators. And four files is basically, you can basically feed it a list of files and you can do actions on those files or based on the existence of those files, which um, number one, I thought that was really, really, really super cool. Um, but it's so, it's like, it's like the coolest thing on the crap. It's like the coolest, I don't know. It's like putting it's a retro. 30, it's all, yeah, it's, 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 it's like, hacking. it's like, pu- it's like putting a 32 inch screen in like a 1993 Chevy Cavalier because it's still like a uh, p- PowerShell. Like it's still IEX. Like, I don't know. It's so like, it's you so funny. But it doesn't make it a good idea. Well, <laughs> but it works. And, but it works apparently. How how many times is four files used in a network? I want to. anybody never, anybody here have any type of four file usage ever? And should you have a detection already pre built for? All well, these dude, you don't even need the detection for four files because you should have the PowerShell detection. Like it's you just should, a bunch of obfuscation. Hey, you got to have multiple. You got to have multiple here. Right? I, Everyone I think fails. it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge. I think the hackers are like, okay, okay, okay. For this next hack. <laughs> Can't use PowerShell. I, I you but it does. <laughs> execution only using four files. Go and this like is, you know, there's uh, some hackers in Russia or China. They're like, God damn it, this This is sucks. only stealthy if you don't have EDR. Like this is yeah. only like this, this is only stealthy if you're somehow like if your security program is someone watching the commands. This is stealthy. If the, if your security program is EDR, this is not stealthy. It's still just PowerShell IEX to a random cloud server. Like I imagine so, a guy in a in a closet with a dot matrix printer, and he's just reading the commands. He's like, "What is four files <laughs> It's yeah. an order code, but it checks out. I'll allow it to execute <laughs> code. <laughs> it also uh, does some very simple sandbox checking. Um, it checks to make sure that the screen height is above seven hundred and seventy seven pixels, and the memory is above four gig. To evade sandboxes, so <laughs> yeah, I I guess like an old an oldie but a goodie. That's what this is. Like it's just like extra extra. We do this stuff on pen tests all the time. Extra extra obfuscation on the same old stuff. Like just take like oh I'm not sharp hound I'm dull hound and then like it works fine. <laughs> like it's, well, I'm Bert. I'm not yeah. mini cats. I'm mini dogs. Yeah, and like the stupidest things still work because of someone that wrote that if then statement in the like in the AV program. Like <laughs> like oh whoops. But this thing I, I like this one because it it hits a lot of the highlights. Just like you said, I mean. It's got uh, what is it? Uh, the stagers seven parts, um, base sixty decimal, base sixty four obfuscation check, <laughs> base sixty four decompress, and then it does more. At stage four is decompress obfuscation. Stage five is base sixty four decompress obfuscation. Then it does string replacement obfuscation. Then it finally does its PowerShell execution. It's just basically just rolling. <laughs> all these obfuscations on top of each other. Then it uh, downloads the payload assembly in a PNG file. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's like how much of the MITRE attack technique matrix can you put into one hack? And then it's like a winner. I, like I said, I seriously believe that threat actors are setting this up as challenges. Do you, like, see, do you see that also has all like the get process, then don't continue. It's like Fiddler, Procmon, Sysmon, Ida Pro. Yeah, it's like, don't decompile me. I'm a PowerShell script. We're going to decompile you, bro. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then it just stops running under certain circumstances. I almost like reading this particular one. Um, 
I actually was thinking, like, are you sure this wasn't like an adversarial emulation framework that's just trying as much shit as possible? And it like set off a false alarm. Yeah, is this a false flag? Seriously, is it? We should back and it's doing all these things. And like the purple team in the company is like, shit, dude, that was us. I, I think this is a false, like, this is, this is just about as close to a false flag as you could get. Cause like, meanwhile, they're like, this is what we're doing. And then there's like all this news and articles about it. Meanwhile, they're like, actually not. They're doing completely other, like completely different techniques. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, who knows, but it doesn't, it, it's also like the premise of the news article is just like, we got this fish. If there was a news article, every time someone gets a fish, that's a lot of news articles. Oh man! <laughs> well, that's kind of what I felt this one was. Yeah, and then it said four files. As soon as I was reading four files, I was like, "God damn, that's as old as I am." That's that's cool. If you're doing a pen test, use all those techniques. Just modify them like one byte here, one byte there. Do base sixty three. You're good to go. I'm I'm waiting for an attacker to use iExpress and it makes it into the news because <laughs> iExpress is what we were using. Good night. What was that? Like 2004, 2005, we were using iExpress. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to use it right now. I, I, you can't stop me. I'm thy next red team. This is going straight in the hopper. Yeah. I, if you can do that and take a screenshot, um, I, 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 that would be awesome. We I, actually, I would, so it's funny because it looks like iExpress just makes self extracting archives, which we still totally use self extracting archive payloads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I and, and I know that there's an APT group that's listening to the show, and they're like, "Oh, we got to get on the show uh, because we're clearly." Not- <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so some, someone asked, "Would local admin access be needed?" No, but PowerShell would. But don't worry, because every employee needs PowerShell, so that's enabled. It's on for everyone, almost everywhere. Um, I don't know how much time I want to spend on this, but Putin granted citizenship to Edward Snowden. What's your hot take, John? I I don't know. Like I said, the whole Edward Dry Snowden face. Uh, like. You know, he Edward did it so he can be sent to the front. <laughs> oh, he's conscripted <laughs> in a cyber war. Are we ready? Are we ready for him just to go off into nothingness now? Like, I, I don't know. I, it, I we, like my, we, my take on Edward Snowden is if he had something to say, he could have said it. If he had some files he wanted to release, he could have released those files. Instead, he released multiple gigabytes of files he didn't even look at and caused definite harm to many different operations and people. So. Was some of the stuff that he found, is it legitimate? Yes, absolutely. Was it abuse of power? Absolutely. Was the United States overstepping their bounds in some situations for monitoring uh, U.S. citizens? Absolutely. Could he have done it better? Hell yes. So that way I piss off everybody in the Edward Snowden faith, which is what he, I'm shooting for. If I yeah, piss, you need to piss you off. Did it, you did it. That's a good Wait, you, fig- you need to figure out how to piss off Russia, too. That's really hard. They got their hands full right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I guess like other than just like America hates him, so they want to be against America. Why do this? Why? Why give him this? Or is it so they can conscript him and send him to the front line? Who is that? Who is that basketball player that's over there? Um, That uh, WNBA player. Oh God! Yeah, Um, Griner. 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 Is that her name? Griner. I think it's Griner. I'm Ryan. just letting you know, Putin, we hate her. Whatever you do, do not send her back. Like, she, we just, yeah, we oh, don't like on. her. Don't send her back. Uh, it, we don't want her. See if that, that works so we can get her back. They can keep yeah. Snowden. I, I don't, it's a weird, I, I don't, I mean, the geopolitical, I will say, like, Snowden definitely, like, paved the way for a lot of future whistleblowers. And, like, I feel like he was kind of the original insider threat. So it's yeah. like, he, 
the way that this plays out will be monitored by people who are sitting on stuff similar to this. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it is interesting to follow along, even though it's not really that newsworthy. It is like, it's I thing. guess you could become, if you want to be, if you want to show things that are bad that are happening, you could end up in Russia, I guess, if that's yeah. your thing. Like, By the way, I want everyone to know before I get hate mail, I was being sarcastic and I was trying to use reverse psychology on Russia for the Britney thing. So before people are like, how did you say that you hate her? It's like, no, you didn't get what I was saying. And I was jet lagged. It was probably bad. Uh, But it was my hope that maybe they would not do what we wanted to do. Luckily, Putin tuned out right after you finished. And he didn't hear that. I know he did. I know. (laughs) Uh, But I I wanted to talk about the Edward Snowden quote because the last sentence, I think, was classic. Um, The whistleblower has maintained and defended his silence over Kremlin's recent actions in Ukraine, saying his views were quote-unquote no longer useful after he wrongly insisted the U.S. intelligence was flawed in predicting the Russian attack. So and he's self-aware. <laughs> yeah, as long as he's... Can we just leave it at that no longer useful and we can move on uh, from that? I just, I just think that's crazy. Um, but let's talk about open source tools and the security of open source tools because I, I do think that this is probably far more important. The United States government... <laughs> It's actually bipartisan, like Democrats and Republicans came together. They went from this to this <laughs> open source tools and how important open source tools are. And I don't know, what, what do you think, what do you all think the government should or could be doing for open source tools? It I'm would be nice if they're actually doing audits and actually submitting code reviews and helping. That would be great. I don't know if they're doing that. Though. You ready for a vulnerability list? Oh, go for it. going to tell you to update it. <laughs> What's that? CISA is just going to have a list where they tell you to update it. That's it's going to be just yeah. So what does this actually again. do? I can't believe it. It's developing a risk framework to evaluate how open source code is used by the federal government. So it's just them. It's totally self serving. It's not about it's it's not about like actually solving things. It's just about figuring out what, whether the post office is using log four J. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I don't know. I mean, maybe something could come out of this. Obviously, we know a lot of government-funded projects have turned. You know, we have Velcro, we have the internet, whatever. Maybe some other stuff. Um, but oh, don't like, forget uh, Tang. Tang. Oh is yeah, good. Tang, Velcro, the internet. What are, all those things that no one really uses anymore? <laughs> They're all good things. Um, and, and one third of all cutting-edge drugs that are produced are funded by the United States government. But other right? than those LSD, things, that's true. Um, LSD, yeah, right? Uh, but yeah, um, I, I think this is one of those things like this is just kind of a requirement almost because if you think about it, the, the government is definitely using things like Apache, you know, Apache software things like that. And they have no control or influence over the security posture of those, um, tools. So it, it will be interesting to see like what they're using. It'll be funny to see like, we're actually using CentOS 3.0. Is that open source? Like, is that still support? Like, <laughs> well, and, 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 and I think one of the bigger like problems the government is worried about is how often, and I think it's mentioned in here, bill of materials somewhere in the middle of this article. Yeah, the, the, the S-bomb, which is something you hear a lot of people talk about. If they require S-bombs for their stuff, that actually will roll over very easily yes. into the private sector. And it That's says here the they will hire, yeah, they'll hire developers. Like, yeah. So I guess if you're one of those people who's been like thanklessly updating the Linux kernel for the last 20 years, I hope you get a government paycheck out of this. Like, you deserve they it. Won't. 
They, won't. <laughs> they probably won't. Yeah, that's not going to happen. It'll be some contractor so that's like, like oh, kernel no. version five point two. Are we going to have okay? Check. So there, are we going to have like America OS? Is it happening? Are we going to oh, get? Koreans, Linux, are we going to get? Are, are we going to get an American distro list? Like, I so but this brings this brings up a lot of interesting questions. Like the last time I can remember that somebody freedom OS. Um, last time I can remember somebody helping in in an open source project was OpenSSL. And basically what mm. they did is they ran a whole bunch of code analysis tools against OpenSSL. And they found all these security vulnerabilities. And everyone was like, oh my God, look at how broken OpenSSL is. And this is so horrible because it runs so much of the internet. And at the end of the day, we discovered that OpenSSL was basically maintained by like two people in their basement doing this on their own goodwill for the entirety of the community. And all these people finding these vulnerabilities, like, you know, Corey, you were mentioning it being self-serving. It was far more self-serving for the code analysis companies than it was actually for helping OpenSSL. At and, least it's CISA, though. They're not and, so bad. At least well, it's CISA. But, but, okay, they're not as bad, but what the hell is CISA doing, right? Or CISA <laughs> doing? Patch like, stuff. I'm going to be going through it. I'm literally going to start up new videos. It's not going to be a webcast or anything where I'm going to go through CISO alerts and I'm going to walk through how you can do threat emulation and test for it because there's a lot of people that don't even know where to begin. But other than saying, oh, well, here's the hot top 200 vulnerabilities attackers are going after and here's some attacks that are out there. I, I don't know how much that's actually helping. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm jet lagging cranky. And shit's not landing right right now. But um, I don't know. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Is there is there a bug bounty program for open source software? Yeah. Is there is there like where you get paid actually to do I it? Mean, like what if what how if much Lisa started sponsoring that? How much like, you want to get paid? Right. And that's I guess that's <laughs> the thing. But the thing is if you open it up to the world, that brings in hackers who maybe that money is worth more. Yeah, that's, we'll just that's keep my in mind general this. thought to it, but I'm with John. I don't think CISA does. CISA yeah. is on the ball. Maybe they come out with their uh, killer app soon. But as for I, a defender, I'm just having an update list. I'm like, all right, getting getting stuff. nation state money in the open source community will be a good thing, unless it just all goes to private contractors. Like I mean, that's you know. where it's going to go. You know, they're just going to give it to yeah. auditing companies. They're going to give it to and Mantech, and they're going to be like, we're going to have you guys audit this stuff for $10 million, and right. they're going to run rats and flaw finder against Strings, it. grab <laughs> malware. And, <laughs> and then you're going to run, into the, run into, the, into the ultimate thing that we keep running into that you had with uh, OpenSSH, which is how many people are actually working on the project itself? It's fine yep. if you find all the bugs in the world. If you don't have somebody actually looking at the code and updating the code, you can find all the bugs that you want to. They're still just going to be there. And there, and Mike, you're absolutely right. You know, you're absolutely right. You're going to have people. You need to have people updating the code. But if you have two freaking developers working on an open source project that is used by thousands of products all over the internet, there's an XKCD comic I think that articulates this really well. That shows how everything is stacked on top of it. Even if there are a couple of developers, does it help them if you end up finding a hundred thousand vulnerabilities in the oh. software and you drop it on their lap? Like, mm -hmm. I, no. I, I think, like seriously, I, I think I, I think Corey's idea: we set up a bug bounty program, put government funding behind it, set up how give it to somebody like Bug Crowd or Hacker One or somebody to manage it, and actually start getting money in the hands of these projects. We we as an industry suck 
at supporting the open source community. We're freaking awful at it. Yeah. And, and it's a shame because so many of the tools that we use are all open source. Yep. I mean, think about every penetration test report that I read, there's at least half a dozen or more links to resources that are on GitHub. These are all mm -hmm. open source tools. And, and they're wonderful and they need to be supported. And and like they, a bunch of those people, they put blood, sweat, and tears into it. And what do they get? Issues on their GitHub page. About, <laughs> so stupid. I can't believe you did it this way. They're not getting any help. I, I um, think it is good that the government is at least like on a on a broader note, not about the open source community, but about the government. Them being aware of the fact that they're using open source software, knowing what that is in the first place and the fact that it's true, someone being able to sell that to a bipartisan committee and actually get them you know, in, on board with this like, hold on, we aren't just using waterfall products acquired from corporations. Like this is wow. a, a, you know, getting, right. That's they're like, but we purchased a license for Microsoft Windows in 2002. That was approved. Like, you know, it's, uh, but... Like knowing that there are companies or uh, government agencies using the software that they depend on it, this is a good step for the government to at least be aware you are depending on these dudes that are are these dudes like dudes. A dude is totally gender neutral, but um, in my yeah. opinion, but uh, basically Can you're be you're depending on people who have no affiliation and no like skin in the game, so to speak. They're basically just like doing it out of the kindness of their heart or because it's interesting or whatever but it, they they're not government employees they're not even company employees in a lot of cases unless it's a large software company so yeah i mean or I think this it's, is a side gig i really or hope it's just not poor yeah absolutely. yeah and you know i'm, I'm you know i'm going to do shameless plug here you know whenever we set up anti-siphon you know that was one of the main goals of anti-siphon is to give 10 percent of the proceeds back to the open source product projects that we teach because you know we make money teaching these tools and, you know, going through and running these tools in a lab and doing all this stuff, like, goddamn, we can give back a little bit. And I, that was one of the things that I, you know, the pay what you can model took off and that was great. We see a lot of people doing it, but I'd like to see more organizations giving back like 10% of what they make to these open source projects that we use every single day. Um, we can do better, I guess. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and maintaining a, as as one of the maintainers of SecBSD, I tell you, it's rough. Not saying everybody uses SecBSD as a pen testing distro, but yeah, it's it's. So, different. what are some of the things like, like you look at like BSD, right? It doesn't have the huge like the number of companies that are behind it as like Linux does, right? And. <laughs> So what are some of the unique issues that you see as far as like, I mean, you, you support like a small part of it, of course, but when you see that bigger community, these people, they aren't making hundreds and millions of dollars off of doing right. this, doing it because they love it. Right. Exactly. I don't, we don't make a, like with free, the BSD community, right. We don't make a cent off of this stuff. We just do it because we love to do it. That's the reason sec BSD even came about is just that we wanted to, give something to the BSD community where they can use it for like pen testing engagements. Has it taken a long time to build? Yes. Cause we do have normal jobs and everything else. So it does take time, but it's just something that, you know, from the open source heart, we're giving back to the community. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've got to bite the bullet and try to run BSD as my daily driver. Are you running BSD right now for webcasts and streaming or? Yes, <laughs> I'm on free BSD right now. So you're running, wow. you're running um, OBS, right? Because that's, that works on that platform, I'm guessing, yes. right? And OBS is really good with cameras and microphones. So, you know, it is possible. I don't know if you watched the Linus Tech Tips where he tried to run Linux and like nuked his Pop! OS installation. Um, yeah. And I think, and it's just, I, I think it sets us back. Well, we're going, we're getting off track, but no, check out SecBSD folks um, because you got to give back and just try to give back as much as you can. I personally can't wait for America OS with all its kernel we, exploits. We could, we, could create, we could create a version of SecBSD uh, that it, we could call it the American OS. Or it's based off of OpenBSD. It is. <laughs> yeah, freedom. As in beer. You know, and speech. The best freedom is beer and speech combination. Ah, I like it. And all right, so make a T-shirt that says "I bleed binary." Like, just <laughs> so let's jump into the next story. We got a malware campaign, and I just want to call out: this malware campaign is mean. Um, it's a malware campaign that's targeting job seekers with Cobalt Strike beacons. I'm just absolutely specifically using an older exploit in Microsoft Office, assuming that people um, haven't updated. It's CVE 2017. <laughs> Is is how is this in the news? What? <laughs> well, I don't know why it's in the news, but it's 2017-0199. And I'm I'm just thinking this is this is cold. Like you're going after job seekers? Like, why the hell? Well, so I, feel I like will this say is, this is the hot thing right no, now, right? Like, well, look no, at, so this look is at Lazarus. Yeah, this is a Lazarus thing. This yeah. is a Lazarus technique. I feel like that might have been why it made it into the news, possibly, because but- Lazarus Group targeted employees at companies they were trying to hack who were looking for jobs. Like they were like, hey, uh, we have the best job offer for you. Uh, totally read this resume, right? Like it's, it's not targeting like some unemployed person. It's like, you work at Black Hills. Let me send you the most amazing pen test offer because I'm trying to hack Black Hills. I don't, I don't know the other malware one, the other one attacking people via LinkedIn and doing it was yep. credited to Lazarus. I don't know if this is linked to the same. No, one. I don't think it is. I'm saying no, like but, the, yeah. technique, really the technique. I think, I think after, after the Cisco breach kind of made waves, right? Where you hack someone's personal machine to then look for corporate passwords. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And targeting people based off jobs is going to, is easy pickings, especially with like people having to maybe go back into the office soon. It's like we're starting to make rumbles or it could just be their corporate machine. They could totally be looking like it's less likely to be outdated, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I found out today. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the things Wade, that you brought up that I want to kind of ask the audience, people that are listening, how many of you are actually getting pressured to go back to the office now? Is that I'm hearing rumblings about it in the news, but is it actually a thing or is it just like a made up story that people are like, oh, well, you've had enough time with COVID. It's now time to come back to the office. Like I was kind of hoping that office working is dead. They're having like riots at Google right now. Well, not really, but like it's a huge issue at some of the bigger tech companies. It's getting a lot of press, right? It's like, yeah. Several of the companies in San Diego I know are pushing to go hybrid or to go back in. Um, I am not pressured, but I know HR is like, I know other companies who've sent out emails like, hey, there's no one in the office. We have this huge office, but there's only 11 people coming in. Mm-hmm. They're trying yeah, to I coerce people to come in to just use it. But uh, I think there'll be a push and then maybe another great resignation, possibly. After yeah, that, we'll see. I've heard of a lot of people that are getting pushed into hybrid or 
people are trying to force them to come back into the office in the Chicago area lately. Um, a lot of it has to do with they're paying for the space. Yeah, so that's, that's such a sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. It's literally like you, you know we talk so about MBAs. Dumb. We talk about MBAs. Isn't that the first thing you learn about the sunk cost fallacy in business school? Like just because you spent money on it doesn't mean you should spend more. Like, <laughs> yeah. Zenith three forty six said leadership has made it a point to tell everyone they're in the office during team meetings and telling people there's lots of unassigned offices. I I don't know. I, I, we I guess have we'll onions coffee. Yeah, I lots think it's of. <laughs> it depends on the corporate culture, right? Like uh, certain corporate cultures are going to have cameras and have people talking face to face and it's going to feel just like that. And then I've heard of other ones where no one gets on camera, no one talks, no one does anything. And I think that's a big enabler of it. If your team is good at communicating already. Yeah, cool. Stay remote. But some te- some management aren't they're not so great at uh, building good comms. So I don't want to be the devil's advocate here, but. <laughs> I'm just going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, if you're a leader in a company and you suck at Zoom, you probably, your meetings suck as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, think, I think the in-person random communication bit is such a fallacy. As someone that has been in plenty of offices, 90% of the stuff that gets talked about across cubicles or when you stop somebody in the hall has nothing to do TV. with what's going on at it's the work. It's all TV. It's all TV <laughs> or sports or some other random so, thing to keep you away from having to do your work. Yeah, I, I will disagree with you. I, every time I go into the office, the first people I go and talk to is internal IT because they actually have to go in and I talk to them about what's going on. And then usually I can fast track tickets that I need. Sounds like your management Wait. material. I don't go in a lot, but I go in and I, and the thing is that face to face builds rapport. It right? does. And you, it does. And that's the thing. But it has to be quality, right? Like, yeah, well, it does. I'm quality people. Okay. I'm quality. If I'm yeah. hiding in my office, it doesn't build rapport to have me hiding no, in my no. office at home or whether I'm in the office. I, I think there are and there are like very published studies that say that there's no productivity impact to working from home just as a thing like broad scale. It doesn't hurt anything. I think the only thing that as a remote worker since a long time ago, the only thing that I think is reasonable is having that team building to build rapport on a recurring basis. That is a necessary component. Having something like a Deadwood or a summit or a team yeah. internal meeting or whatever it is, having something where everyone gets together and says, oh, this is Mike from IT. He's the guy that's not fast tracking my tickets. Let me buy you a drink, please. Why aren't you like, let's talk, let's hang out. I think that is always going to be a requirement because humans are, we're, we're, in, we're well, body language, you know? And the other thing about that is, you know, Look, if you're going to be a company, you're going to require your employees to come into the office. You better make the office awesome, right? Like Feathers says, you can make the office an escape room. I don't know. <laughs> I think that could be misinterpreted. I think I think they the office office is an escape room. No, but, I think but, that's already a thing. Yeah. So we um, well, like whenever we come in on Mondays or Wednesdays to the Spearfish offices, Monday and Wednesday. We try to at least break bread with people like, you know, we're going to buy you lunch. We're all going to get together. We're going to talk and we're going to eat food. And I also this drives me insane. A lot of the conversations are literally like what sports team did what or what people did during the weekend. And I'm okay with that. Right. I'm okay with that. If people get face to face and we do it and we sit around and have a good time and just kind of shoot the shit for a few hours. 
for the offices because that's literally like the one day a week that we actually get to see each other face to face. And I think it, it works out. My point of this rant or ramble, whatever it is, is if you're going to force people to come into the office, at least create an office environment, that's going to be fun. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean Hawaiian shirt Fridays or something like that. <laughs> try, to, try to somehow make it uh, a more relaxed and, you know, try to get it for what it is, where it's FaceTime, where people actually get to connect. Like you're talking about Deadwood. We did uh, we do Deadwood because we found out that we can do a conference in Deadwood and have all of our employees come and literally hang out with each other for three, four days nonstop, which then again makes us be okay not seeing each other for another year. Speaking as someone who lives thousands of miles away from Deadwood and South Dakota in general, I look forward to those face-to-face meetings and being able to socialize with the other members of the Black Hills community because I get feedback, I get connection, I get a sense of who the person is on the other end of that text, of that video, that you just can't get it without it. And and the other thing I think that's important is like if you meet someone face to face, it all of a sudden clears up like how their emails or their text messages or things may come across right and i think that that helps put the right tone of the person um with the communication that you get as well so no i i I seriously think that you're gonna have you're gonna have shit jobs that are gonna require people to be in the office five days a week it's gonna be like joe versus the volcano at the beginning where the lights are sucking the life out of him maybe do hybrid where we all come in two days a week or we work at we work spaces or something like that and I think that those are going to be the better quality jobs. But all of that being said, we've had employees at BHIS that literally cannot handle working from home. They love being around people and yeah. they'll find those places too. My point on all of this, I think is awesome that as an employee, you have options and you can kind of find the type of environment that you want to work. Yeah. With. And I think the other thing that's really important in, a, in person is making really tough decisions, making like, as an example, like if you got, if, if you're dealing with an incident response war room kind of scenario. You're going to get yep. better results if everyone's in the same physical room. It's just a different energy. Everyone's more able to pick up body language, pick up things that are happening without having to, oh, I, I saw it in Teams or I didn't read it. Um, but it's totally, it's good for that. It's good for consensus and decision making and that kind of thing. But it's so bad for like focus work. So it's like kind of a mix. I think a hybrid is the only way to do it. Because if you're a developer, if you're anyone that requires focus, you're not going to be able to focus in an environment like we work or i mean maybe if you're a if you're truly talented at focusing yes but most of us struggle to focus no matter where we're at and more Mm -hmm. distractions means less productivity it's just how it is well and i always my work schedule when i was working at northrop and at accenture and all those places was i would get in at like five o'clock in the morning and i would work like ridiculously early hours and the reason was is i was able to work up until like eight to nine o'clock completely focused no one in the office able just to knock things out and then when everyone came in and they all wanted to just you know have water cooler i could do that but i needed to have that time otherwise if i went straight standard nine to five my day was constantly yeah and i, I did think whitey cyber duck yeah. oh, i think whitey cyber duck in the chat has a very good point also and i would agree with it commute times yeah. especially oh, in the God. larger city yeah. 
If yeah. I have to go into my office, I'm sucking about three to four hours out of my day, depending upon weather and you're traffic, not getting paid public trans that I'm right. not getting paid, but I'm expected to be able to work remote on the train or what have not just so that way I could go into the office for eight hours and then spend another chunk of time coming back on out. And that actually reduces productivity as far as I'm concerned, as opposed oh, yeah. to waking up getting dressed and going straight into my office and sitting down and starting to work my work day. Oh, and your life is going to, I mean, it's going to be so hard to have any semblance of work-life balance with that schedule. Like it's, yeah. oh, it's going to, I've, I've had jobs where I'm, I'm tacking on three hours a day because yeah. I'm on the four Oh five every yeah. day. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, to, to drive what 40 miles to oh. get to the office. And when I was having to do that, I did, basically the same thing that john did but at the end of the day i waited until everybody left and then i was able to focus and crank and get stuff done and have little presents in everybody's inbox for when they walked in the next day about the same time i walked in the next day so but but i've got a question about the 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 commute i was in dc because we have an office out there baltimore the dc baltimore area that Mm -hmm. i never to which i thought was kind of cool but we went from Washington, Dulles, we rented a car and we were driving over to Baltimore at like five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and I have nothing but horrific memories of that. Oh, it's um, bad. It was <laughs> really like it took me 45 minutes to an hour to make the drive. It was not that bad. Yeah. Is the commutes better post COVID with so many people working from home or are no. a lot of them just, just as bad as they ever were? Or did no. I just have a really good day in DC? No, I live I live 15 minutes from Dulles. Okay. <laughs> and okay. and literally, like I'm in the office right now um and this is just by choice cuz it's not a soul in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just me, but I like to change the scenery sometimes, but um no, the traffic is still the the traffic is still the same. It hasn't okay. changed. So I just um, got a good day then. Yeah. That's yeah, it. it- it was weird because I, I remember like in the past driving in DC, if you had to go six, seven miles, it was going to be like half an hour. Uh, mm-hmm. to, it was crazy. This is why when I come, when I come to Shamu, I just literally like stay at the hotel. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I will say, I will say the one thing that I do miss about commuting hours a day is that I can't listen to my audiobooks anymore. Yeah. I have to, I have to make time and do housework and, Stuff like that. Yeah. But I will do this while on the road, Madonna works wonders. What's that? Madonna works wonders when you got to travel a long distance. <laughs> really? I love it. Now, I, I got a question. Old school Madonna or newer old school, school Madonna? Madonna? I'm talking old about okay. I'm crazy for you, Madonna. Desperately seeking I. Susan. Desperately seeking Susan era madonna <laughs> yes uh, so we need oh, we need to wrap sure. this up because i've already taken this thing completely off track and i'm sorry i just came back from BrewCon. by the way a huge plug to the folks at BrewCon. just they put on an amazing con uh, like conference so happy up in mecklen if you ever get a chance even if you're in the u.s you should do it but i'm fighting jet lag really 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 bad also i want to throw a shout out to the people at Gurkon. Wildwest Hackenfest and Gurkhan have been stepping on each other's toes for years now, and that's finally going to end. And I'm super excited because uh, I'm looking forward to going out to Gurkhan next year um, and then doing Wildwest Hackenfest. I know Dave, he's presenting at Gurkhan, hopping on a plane and then presenting the next day at, uh, at uh, wow. Wildwest Hackenfest. So that's, 
that's crazy. And that man doesn't really like to do conferences much anymore. So I appreciate that. So once again, folks, if you get a chance, like and subscribe, we really appreciate it. And as always to my co-host, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. And uh, tune in tomorrow and on Wednesday for address-based layout randomization. Tomorrow on address-based layout randomization, I will be going over updated. Um, I will be going over updated the volatility, which brought back single uh, symbol lookup tables, so it can pull down uh, process ID information and uh, network information. So I'll be talking about that tomorrow. White Cyberdoc just posted in professional bodybuilder Dave Kennedy. And I'm thinking of like uh, actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. If we could do a full like thing um, with that, with that, with that musical with professional bodybuilder <laughs> Dave Kennedy, that would be fantastic. And with that, Ryan, please end this before I go off any more rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> Ow, yip, yip.